These Communion Sundays, I've been purposing to uh, preach standalone sermons on themes that have to do with the, the cross of Calvary and the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And this morning, we're going to look at the concept, the great theological concept of reconciliation. When I think about reconciliation, I think about the time that I was in the hospital room of a man who knew that he was dying. I knew something beyond that. I knew why I was in his hospital room. I was in his hospital room because the next car ride he was going to take was to the funeral home. I was in his hospital room because I knew that he would soon be exchanging the temporary for the eternal. And I was in his hospital room because I knew that he was a hop, skip, and a jump away from either hell or heaven. And I was there to humbly seek to tell him the way to heaven through Christ. He took me aback in that visit. After I'd asked him a simple question, I thought, he took me aback. I asked him if he was at peace with God. And he answered, I don't believe that we've ever been at war. He was sincere in that thought, but he was sincerely wrong. God says so. In Romans 5.10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. No matter how that dying man saw it or explained it in his own head, God said of him and of any of us who are not yet in Christ, who do not yet know salvation and forgiveness through Jesus, God said of him and of us who are unsaved that he was God's enemy. God has spoken and he hasn't mumbled. And that dying man at that time in his life and any of us who may be in the sound of my voice without Christ as Savior, God says we are his enemies. Now, you may be thinking, to consider a person who's not a Christian yet as being an enemy of God is some kind of an inaccurate exaggeration. If you think that way, I would suggest that you're something like the son who comes home with a bunch of stolen money, presents it to his daddy and with the hopes that the family will keep it. Or if you think that being deemed God's enemy outside of Christ is unloving, then you're a bit like the 375-pound patient who's at the doctor's, and the doctor says you're morbidly obese and you must radically change your lifestyle. And then you say to the doctor, you are so mean. You shouldn't have told me that. And if you think that the term enemies is harsh and overkill, then you are naive and underestimating the seriousness of sin, and and you are overestimating the value of your own righteousness. You're kind of like the average Joe that shows up at the White House to talk to the president without an appointment. And if you think the category of enemies is only for the really bad guys that you think are worse than you, then I suggest you open your eyes to how God has treated large groups of persons, ordinary persons. For instance, God flooded the whole globe, leaving only one family as survivors. Or God wrote a comprehensive law that made provision for capital punishment. 
Or God virtually wiped out all of the idol-worshiping nations in the promised land. Or God sent his only son to die on a cross. And so I trust that you get the point here. When you are not with God, when you are not for God, when you are not in God's Savior Christ, you are actually God's foe and not God's friend. And it doesn't really matter one little bit if you figure that that categorization is an exaggeration or that it's unloving or that it's overkill. Everybody not saved, everybody not forgiven by the blood of Christ is God's enemy. Everybody. That is true for the atheist, but it's also true for the philanthropist. It's true for everyone in between the two. If they're outside of Christ, they are enemies to God. Now, Colossians 1, 21 and 22, flesh this out a little bit. It tells us what having enmity with God looks like. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet, this is a beautiful word in Scripture, yet, he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. When a person is outside of Christ, When a person is an enemy of God, the verse says that they are alienated from God, they are hostile to God in their minds, and they are engaged in evil deeds. Think of Saul, who later became Paul, Saul of Tarsus. There he was on the road to Damascus, a Pharisee of Pharisees, going to Damascus for the express purpose of arresting Christians who lived in Damascus with the intent to bring those arrested Christians back to Jerusalem for them to be executed. He was alien from God, enemy of God, hostile in his mind toward God's plan of salvation and Savior, and he was embarking on evil deeds. And so it is for any who are not yet in Christ, any who are not yet saved, redeemed, born again, converted, They are enemies of God who are prone to be alienated from him, to be hostile in mind toward him, and to be involved in evil deeds. Evil deeds of the mind. Lust or doubt or worry. Evil deeds of the mouth. Lies or slander or gossip. Evil deeds of the heart unforgiveness or pride or selfishness, evil deeds of the hands, theft or violence or neglect. What the dying man in the hospital room that day desperately needed to know was that he actually was God's enemy, who was actually alienated from God and who was actually hostile toward God. And what the dying man needed to understand very desperately was that he needed to admit that even in his passivity, 
He had evil deeds in God's estimation. After I told the man in the hospital room that he was God's enemy, I did not walk away from his room abruptly ending the conversation. To do so would have been cold, and to do so would have been uncaring, and to do so would have been unchristlike. And so I stayed with him, and I told him the very good news that God is willing to reconcile those who are enemies of his to himself. He got interested. It was kind of like he was a man who discovered that he had a large debt, but then right on the heels of that discovery, discovered that he had a willing person who would pay his large debt. He got interested. I mean, it was one thing for him to find out that he was God's enemy, but it was quite another thing to find out that God knows how to reconcile enemies to himself. And of course, we all sit here this morning as trophies of God's gracious work of reconciliation because all of us who are saved, all of us who are believers now once were enemies of God. But in his mercy and kindness and power and strength and love, he in Christ has reconciled once enemies like me and you. He has reconciled us to himself. And I stand here humbly knowing full well that I was an enemy of God. But now I stand reconciled to God because of God's amazing grace. This concept of reconciliation needs a definition. It's a long definition. It's in your half-sheet sermon outlines if you care to look at it. Reconciliation is God's work. That's the first point. It's God's work. It's not your work. You cannot reconcile yourself to God. No one can reconcile themselves to God. Reconciliation is God's work of coming all the way to a sinner. Let me pause. That's exactly what God did in the risen Christ on the road to Damascus with Saul the Pharisee going to Damascus to arrest Christians. Jesus Christ did not say to Saul, you do this, you do that, you go there, you go here. Jesus Christ intercepted him right on the road to Damascus, came all the way to Saul as he went to Damascus and appeared in mid-stride to Saul to tell him the way of salvation. That's how God works when he reconciles a sinner. Reconciliation is God's work of coming all the way to the sinner by the person and the work of Christ without compromising either his own holiness or his own justice in order to provide the full payment for the sinner's debt to God. And when that full payment is provided by the cross of Jesus Christ, when that is done, that takes away God's wrath. It takes away the sinner's estrangement from God and it brings the sinner all the way back to God. That's reconciliation. And we come to set the table. We come to the supper today and every month we observe it because we have been reconciled to God. We are no longer God's enemies. We are now God's friends. But even more than that, we are God's family. Sons and daughters adopted into God's family. And so it's a wonderful thing to see this picture that we once were enemies and God in his great love and mercy came all the way to us 
by the person and the work of Jesus without compromising any of God's holiness or justice in order to pay the full payment of our sin debt to God, which frees us from God's wrath, satisfies God's wrath, and solves our estrangement problem from God as God brings us all the way back to himself from wherever we were. 1 Peter 3 18, for Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, watch it, so that he might bring us to God. So that he might bring us to God. That's reconciliation. Having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This work of reconciliation, where enemies are made to be friends, is 100% work of God's. 100% the work of God. All of us this morning, or any communion morning, can only take the bread and can only drink the cup because we are no longer alienated from God. Because we are no longer hostile toward God. We are no longer engaged in evil deeds. (laughs) And when you think about this, When you think about these solutions that reconciliation provides, when you think about these solutions, they are as big as God's heart and they are as precious as our own hope of heaven with God. Songwriter Pat Shubbles has written a song that I love. It's called Jesus, Thank You. The lyric goes like this. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. Reconciliation, God's work of coming all of the way to a sinner by the person and the work of Christ without compromising either his holiness or his justice in order to provide the full payment for the sinner's debt to God, which takes away God's wrath and the sinner's estrangement from God and which sees the sinner brought all the way back to God. Grace, mercy, love. You know, of course, that there's a very good reason why God had to come all the way to us sinners in order to reconcile us to himself. And the very good reason is that Scripture tells us we all were spiritually dead. Dead. And therefore, it was utterly impossible for us to have come even one inch toward God. And certainly meeting God halfway between him and us was never going to happen. When Jesus was being crucified on the cross, the temple in the Jewish temple that separated the holy of holies from all the rest of the temple, it was torn, scripture says, in two, but it was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Because reconciliation then and reconciliation now is God's work. 
And spiritually dead persons, no matter how religious, cannot do the work of reconciling themselves to God. And so the curtain in the temple at Jesus' crucifixion time was rent into, torn into from the top to the bottom. We were once spiritually dead, Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. And dead persons can't sit at a negotiation table. And dead persons also can't sweet-talk themselves into some kind of a compromise. And dead persons also can't swing a deal, which is good for both sides. Dead persons, spiritually dead persons, are dead. And so God had to come all the way to us in Christ. And then when we took Jesus as our sin substitute by faith, God was the one who had to bring us all the way back to himself from the far-off country of deadness that we lived in. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And so this wonderful uh, work of God's of reconciliation that we celebrate as we come to the Lord's Supper together in a moment, this beautiful theological work of reconciliation had everything to do with God and nothing to do with us. 100% to do with God and 0% to do with me. There was a time for testimony in a church and a brand new convert to Christ stood up and began to give account as to how God had saved him through Christ. And after he had testified to all the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God and the cross of God and so on, and the service dismissed, this well-meaning Christian lady came up to him and said, you know, that was a wonderful testimony, but all you talked about in your testimony was what God did. Why didn't you tell us what you did? He said, oh, that's easy. I did all the sinning. God did all the saving. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present to you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. This Lord's Supper Sunday, we're worshiping God for his act of reconciliation. And we're recognizing that reconciliation is God's work of coming all the way to the sinner by the person and the work of Christ without compromising either his holiness or his justice in order to provide the full payment for the sinner's debt to God, which takes away God's wrath and the sinner's estrangement from God and which sees the sinner brought all the way back to God. I'll never forget Frank Unbahan. Frank Unbahan came alone into the second church I pastored one day, and he kind of stood out. He had tattoos all over his body. He limped and barely could stand up, although he wasn't an old man. With due time, we began to understand Frank's story. He was a former biker, a former drug dealer, 
and a former drug addict. And he had engaged in criminal activity with the biker gang. He was also a diabetic. He had suffered serious injuries by riding his motorcycle with his gang that required many, many broken bones be healed. And he bared the scars of that kind of living. As we got to know Frank and love him, he told us of how he lost his marriage and his children because of his bad choices as a biker. He told me of how one night alone, he tuned on the television and saw Billy Graham preaching the gospel. And in the sincerity and privacy of his heart, he trusted Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. He kept up with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and would apply and ask for their, their uh, gifts of different literature and different CDs and different DVDs. He had, he had them all. But he shared a lot of them with me and other Christians when he was finished with them. He just was on fire for the Lord. He studied his Bible by himself for a while. Then he found out that the Bible said he ought to find a, a gathering of Christians with like precious faith in Christ and plug in. And so that's why he appeared at our church and um, began a relationship with each of us and us with him. Frank Ambahan died suddenly at home. He was just with the Holy Spirit, no other humans, when he died. He died of a set of complications due to his diabetes. I had his funeral. It was a memorable funeral. We were in a funeral home, and on this side of the aisle were all his brothers and sisters in Christ from our church. And on this side of the aisle were all of his biker gang associates in leather vests, chap pants, chains. Things were going well until I began to give the gospel, to say that Frank isn't the same person that he once was. He's with Jesus, but before he went, he wasn't the same person as he once was. Because he heard a wonderful good news message about Jesus. And as I proceeded to go into the gospel, a very flawed architectural design of the funeral home became evident. Right on that wall of the funeral chapel was a door into a restroom. I mean, right there. And as I began to give the gospel by which Frank Unbahan had been saved, the biker gang stood up in mass and walked out. But before they all walked out, one of them opened the door to the restroom and left it open and flushed the toilet. Jesus Christ either makes you mad or glad. And the crowd that applauded the flushing of a toilet while the gospel was being given remained enemies of God as they walked out of that funeral home. And the hosts on the other side, brothers and sisters in Christ who love Frank, 
we understood that we had been made friends of God, not because of us, but because of God's great work of reconciliation. I'm here to tell you that the enemies of God do not get the last say. Christ gets the last say. And so on this communion, Lord's Supper uh, morning, I want us to come to this table acutely aware that we have been reconciled and that that reconciliation is not anything we accomplished, but it was a grace gift paid for by the blood of Christ. Reconciliation is God's work of coming all of the way to the sinner by the person and the work of Christ without compromising either his holiness or his justice in order to provide the full payment for the sinner's debt to God, which takes away God's wrath and the sinner's estrangement from God and which sees the sinner brought all the way back to God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Please pray with me. Oh God, thank you for the magnificent work of reconciliation that you have effected in each born-again believer's life. Thank you, Lord, that when we were dead in trespasses and sins, you came to us and you showed us what Jesus has done for us. And you gave us the grace gift we never could have earned of new life forgiveness and a standing in your forever family. Lord, we would pray that you would remind us that it's one thing to have been reconciled, and that's magnificent, but it's also that you have given to each of us who have been reconciled the ministry of reconciliation, that we would share the same good news that we heard with those who are not yet reconciled to you and living as enemies of yours. Lord, break my heart and break my brother's and sister's heart for those in this city and in this world who still are living as enemies of God. Help us to be mindful of these theological truths as we partake of the bread and of the cup this morning. And we pray this together and all of God's redeemed said, Amen.
Amen.